Last week, Paul spoke to you, or spoke to us, I should say, about the peace of God in a home. Do you remember that? And for many of us, or he asks the question whether our personal home has the peace of God in it. And many would say yes, but we see within the church, I want to say church, I mean bigger than this, I mean church, global. We see within the body of Christ, probably a better way if I say it that way, there is an absence of peace in the home. And yet, we have to ask ourselves, why is this? Why is there an absence of the peace of Christ in the home if the church is full of believers? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. But something's got to dwell in your house. Not only you dwell in his house, but something has to dwell in your house. Yes? Not only about... And, and, and if something's following you, it should dwell with you. Yeah? We have a cat in our street. And this cat looks for an opportunity to get into our house. And if you're emptying the bins sometimes, it's a nuisance. You've got to deceive the cat's looking. And if the cat's nowhere, you can get out. But what you do is you move over to the bin, the cat's come round the back. And then what happens is it sets the alarm off. One day we come home, the alarm's going off, and I've got a really loud alarm. And I'm thinking, have we been burgled? And Because uh, he gets the attention of the street when our alarm goes off. And he opens the door, and the cat's sat there, looking at me and says, where have you been? <laughs> what do you mean, where have I been? You don't live here. And then you open the door, and then the cat runs out. But you've got to keep, it follows you. At the moment's opportunity. So if surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, then something should dwell in your home. The peace of Christ should dwell in your home. Is that fair? But, but that's not often the case. So many Christian families have anxiety at home. They have turmoil at home. The environment is dysfunctional. The, the environment is aggressive. The environment is fragmented. And the whole family scene is up for grabs. So we've got believers coming to church. We've got believers returning back to home. But somewhere from church to home, something's missing. Something is not following them. So I don't know, I don't know about you, but I want some goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. I want to be... Followed by goodness and mercy. Would you agree with that? So, since we've started our series of rebuilding the walls, we've tried to put on your radar those things that kill that peace, attack that peace, and destroy that peace. We've tried to bring to you in many ways, many colors. We've been painting a, a, a palette. We're on our palette, we've got a lot of different colors and we're trying to paint this picture to the best of our ability because God has told us to focus on the family. It's a primary issue for us right now because to build a nation, you have to build families. Yes? And you can't build a nation if the families are in a disarray. Now, everyone says, well, my family's all right. Yeah, it could do with a little bit of TLC. We're not talking about a makeover. We're talking about rebuilding. We're talking about acknowledging what isn't there. We're, we're talking about acknowledging why it isn't there. 
and we're asking the questions so that we can face the issues, so we can deal with the issues, so that God can come into the house and the peace of Christ can transcend all understanding, should say that goes beyond all understanding, can fill your hearts and lives. So it's possible for your husband who's not a believer, your wife who's not a believer, your children who's not a believer, to be surrounded by the peace. Why? Because something follows you. Goodness and mercy follows you. So wherever you dwell, it will dwell. Yeah? Have you noticed when you go to work, it's so easy to bring work home. And work can dwell. Your office argument or your factory argument or your bad business deal follows you at home. And before you know it, you're having tea with what you dealt with in the week or in the day. And your family gets to meet your issues. So if something can follow you and pursue you, then why can't it be goodness and mercy? Just a thought. It's just free. So we've looked at the DNA of the family, or tried to. We've looked at, you know, the DNA of the family, and, and we've tried to explain to you in many, many terms how the modern family is under attack. We try to, try to uh, encourage you to adopt the principle of the watchman. Every home needs a watchman. Yes, every home needs a watchman. What does that mean? Does he sit on the roof? No. There are people who have to stand in prayer and watch. Right now, every father who has young children should be the watchman over, over his children. He should be looking for the future to see where their kids should be going. Hello? School cannot determine your kid's future. No careers officer should determine your kid's future. You should be able to steer your kids where they should go. You should have a sense. Watch, watch the character. Watch the DNA. What are they good at? What are they gifted at? Look. Are they good, with, are they good around people? Are they, are they talented? That will give you an idea of maybe where, what areas you should be encouraging them to, to pursue. Don't encourage your kids to pursue an area that's totally opposite of their character. Let them go into an arena with strength. Yes? I never had this. My dad said, just go and get a job. So I was, I had to walk the length and breadth of the, of the nation to get a job, basically. I can go out, the world was my oyster. But no, I think it's good if we can steer our kids down a particular path. Not your path. God's path. Don't live your life for your kids. The importance of each, we try to explain to you the, the importance of every household not breaking faith. And this is the problem. This is why we have such dysfunctions in the home because we don't know how to keep the family under in faith. It's true. And do you know why? Because many of you never reached faith. You became Christians, but you never entered into faith. So then we, we don't know how to keep the family in faith because we've never actually entered into faith. My kids, I can show my kids and they sit down, they can see it, how miracles and miracles and miracles have happened in our family. I brought the family into faith. It's important that our family have seen the miracles in Carol and mine life. So our kids have no excuse and no argument. Now, it doesn't stop them arguing. Doesn't stop them, but at least we can say, Do you remember when God did this? See, my daughter has tried to poo poo all that. And I look at her and say, Laura, have you got an alternative way? Did you know how God did that with mum? Well, well, uh, yeah, and she'll argue a good fight. 
right? And then you just say, but mum's healed. You saw the situation. And all I do is I don't have to defend it. I just talk her through what she already knows. Why? I don't have to argue. She's seen the miracle. So if we can bring our family into faith, even though they're not believers or not, show them how God works for you. And then what your kids end up doing, have you noticed this? Mom, it's always mom, can you pray for such and such a body? Because now they think mum's got some faith. She knows God. She'll, get, she'll have a word with a big fella up there. And she'll have a word and a petition. And do you know what that is? That's very similar to Catholicism. We're using Mary as the mother to talk to the father. It's the same thing. That's exactly what happens. We've adopted the, the philosophy. But the kids see that mum has got access but they're frightened that if they go there, God's going to tell them off. So mum deals with it and prays for them. And then what do the kids do? Oh, yeah, it happened anyway. Because <laughs> you've not brought them into faith. But say, hey, son, I'm happy to pray for you. Will you pray with me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't want that. You've got to bring them into faith. Yep. You've got to bring them into faith. Why are you spending all your time praying for issues that are not your issues? Just thought, our kids can run as ragged. People say to me all the time, can you pray for this? I never answer. Why? Because if I say yes, I'm bound to pray. I'm I'm obligated to pray. But I don't pray because people ask me to pray. Why? Because I know what my assignment is. I should be praying about those things that I know are mine to pray through. I can't be praying for someone else's cat. Seriously, the prayer requests that people give you are ridiculous. But it's meaningful to them. So because it's meaningful to them, they want you to be involved in their merry-go-round. Won't do it. I won't do it. And some people say to me, can you pray? I'll just say, if the Lord allows me. The way out. So we've tried to look at family dynamics. God's need for a righteous family. Yes? Family dynamics. God's selection process for getting, the God, for getting things done. All this has been taught to you. I don't, I don't remember. Right. There's the, there's the issue. Family dynamics. God's heart is not filled. God's house is not filled with foreigners and aliens. It's filled with sons and daughters. Amen. And then last time I spoke to you, I spoke to you and I gave you this phrase, E pluribus unum. Do you know what it means? Out of many, one. So in a family, we need the power of one. Out of a family, out of many, there must be one. It's good that you remembered that. Well done, guys. And this phrase, e pluribus unum, is a Latin phrase, and it's, it's on every American coin, and, or most American coins, and since 1782. And like I said to you last time, have you thought of any nation that, that has entitled to use that? America, because America is literally a collection of every other nation. The Irish, the Italian, the Mexicans, the French, the English, you name it. Everybody's camped, lived, and had a part of America, just like, I suppose, Britain is. And I suppose every other nation to some degree. It's always filled with other people. But so, and I like the concept of America standing there saying, we'll embrace all these people. Now, we know there's hypocrisy there. We know there's troubles behind America. We know they've got their issues, just like every other nation. So, on one 
One hand, it's saying we are one. Out of many, there's one. But yet in the nation, there's division. But that's a separate issue. It's a separate issue. Why? Because it takes a different strategy to deal with that. But you can actually stand up and say, look, we're welcoming. We're all encompassing. We can have these. But we have to find a strategy so that we can synergize together. We've all got indifference. We've all got cultural backgrounds. We've all got different ways. But somehow we have to find a strategy to all live together. I like that idea. The Bible loves that idea. And it says, okay, if you're going to do that, then, you've, then I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Did, Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. So the way to bring e pluribus unum is to follow the pattern and follow the way. There's only one way. So you have to find out what are the blueprints, what are the strategies of building, discipling nations. And one of the ways to disciple a nation is through the family. Disciple the family, you disciple the nation. It's, it's as simple as that. Because every government official, every police officer, every army, every soldier, they all came from families and all belong to families. And the best way to hurt a soldier is destroy his family. Come on, think about it. If I want to bring you down, I only have to touch your family. And then you, then will, you will do anything possible to protect your family, will you not? So why should we think God's different? Why should we think God's different? So we see that God created Adam first. He started with his power of one. He's believing in his power of one. And he's doing everything in his capability to keep the emphasis of one primary. But every time he brings the power of one, there's always a tax to separate it and destroy it. So he starts with Adam. And out of Adam, he creates in one man capacity for more than one. Think about this. Stay with me now. Out of one man, God creates capacity for more than one. Yes? So out of you, out of me... God created me, and out of God creating me, God created capacity for me and Carol to become one. He put within me feelings to gravitate, to seek out a wife, so that I could incorporate her into my life, she could incorporate me into her life, so that the two could become one. So out of one, he creates two, but out of two, he brings them back to one. But what, look what happens, that family... All the time is under attack, so it doesn't become one, it still becomes two individuals. Every day the family's under attack. Why? Because the very thing God creates, the enemy tries to separate. Conquer and divide. So out of one, he brings Eve. But out of Eve, he brings many. She has children. But somewhere, the power of one, God's always working back to the power of one. Does that make sense? So, from out of Abraham, many nations come. So then we go into Abraham's lineage and we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But out of Jacob comes 12. But out of 12, God makes the 12 one nation. Think about this 12 nations. So God says, It doesn't matter how many people there, because I can always, I've got the power of one. I know how to orchestrate the power of one. So now Israel is one nation with many tribes in there, but she's one nation. Yes? So it's possible to have tribes and, and clans and different um, 
household in your nation, but it's possible to have one nation, one household. We are many in here, but we should be one. Yes? On the, on the door, it says the Dream Center. It doesn't say Dream Center Ghana, Nigeria, England. It just says the Dream Center. He states one house. That's what we are. But we're many. But we're one. So we also see that Jesus, when he died on the cross, what did he die to do? Through one man, through one man, he brings the two, one. Who's the two? The Jew and the Gentile and Christ. So he sees, he sees mankind as one. He makes the two one. He defeats the wall of hostility that's separated through the death and through the resurrection. He now obliterates that and he allows the two to become one. What did they become one in? Inside Christ. Inside Christ is where the power of one starts. Outside of Christ, I have no reason to be with you this morning. Outside of Christ, I have no reason to be out to be with you. It's a fair comment. I like you, but to love you, and, and same goes. So, through millions of believers, millions of churches, there is one head, Christ Jesus. Through millions and billions of churches, there's one body. Yes? And though this, in this body there are millions of people, it's amazing. The eye says, I don't need the leg. But scripture says, oh, you do. Why? Because you're one body. This is not a Paralympic church. We have no prosthetic limbs here. We have body. We have the full parts. Yes? A prosthetic limb is a substitute enabling a disabled person to carry out their function. We haven't got prosthetics. But in the charismatic church, we have have definitely got a Paralympic church. We're trying to stay in the race, but we're using substitutes when we're one body. What I'm saying is, I don't need this arm, so I'll find a substitute so I don't have to connect with him. Come on, think about it. I'll come to this church, I'll do life kind of with this church, but I don't need the people in the church because me, when I go home, that's me, you're my family. You're not my family. So what you do is you find a substitute, a prosthetic arm, a prosthetic leg, you find a false eye, and you find different body parts so that you do not have to do life with this one body. So when you're in your race, you disqualify yourself because you think you can get to the end of the race without the body. You can't. Why? Because the Bible says it. You can't get to the race on your own. Now, hear what I'm saying. You are individually responsible to work out your salvation. That does not mean you do it on your own. That means you are responsible for you. Hello? I'm responsible for me, and I have a measure of responsibility for Carol. But I can't take all the responsibility for Carol. Carol has to take some of her own responsibility. Carol has to run her own race. Now, my job as the the husband is to wash her with a word. Make sure that I love her, protect her, 
cover her. In other words, give her no reason to fail the race. True? But she's still got to run her race. So I'm the support team. I'm the one following, you know, in the bike race, when you see the car with all the spare bikes. I'm the one in the back of the car saying, go on, honey, you can go. Go on, honey, keep going. And if she gets a puncher, it's okay, we've got a spare bike. But we haven't got, I can't, I don't look for a prosthetic wife. I've got the wife I've got. Everything that she is, is mine. And vice versa. Yes? I'm not looking for something from another woman that my wife hasn't got. If she hasn't got it, she hasn't got it. Learn to live with it. You know, when I married Carol, her figure was completely different. So was mine. If I keep going looking for that woman, I'm in trouble. Why? Because she doesn't exist anymore. Yeah? I always said to Carol, why, wasn't you, why didn't you have blonde hair? Why? She said, why? I said, I've always liked blondes. She said, would you want me to dye my hair blonde? No. Why? I said, just because you haven't got it doesn't mean say I can go and get it somewhere else. I'll learn to live without blonde hair. I'm just glad you've got hair. <laughs> Seriously. Think about this. How many times we look for body, spare body parts to substitute the real thing? I'm onto something there. I am. So Christ has a multi-seeded body. But it all grows in the one house. One house. So, if I said to you, where's my uh, illustration? Ah. Let me welcome you. Let me introduce you to E Pluribus Unum. E Pluribus Unum. I want to introduce you to it this morning. This is the body. But out of the body... There are many, but she's one. She's a little, as you see, she's having trouble to wait. She's not the woman I married, right? And neither is the man inside there. I'm using illustration here just to try and get your imagination, that's all. Not everything I'm saying literally works the way it is, so don't, let's not take it too far, okay? Don't get giddy out there. So this is Mrs. E. Plurbus Unum. She's one. But inside of one, there's many. Different shapes, different sizes. That's the body. That's what Christ came back for. This is the head. She's one. And we're all inside Christ. Yes, we're all inside Christ. But he's the face of the church, not you or me. He's the face of the church. So we see, first of all, we have Adam. This is Adam now. I'm going back to, I'm going back to creation. Adam. But out of Adam, inside of Adam was capacity for more than one. That's you and me. There's greater capacity to get married, to have a family, to have a clan, to have a tribe, whatever's in you, whatever you feel is in your loins. It's yours to do. But there's capacity in there. That's the first thing you've got to realize, there's capacity in there. But the greater the capacity, the more control it needs to keep it one. Yes? You know these guys who have strong sexual desires strong, you, they need to be trained out to keep it under control. So the greater desires you have sometimes takes the greater responsibility. If you never have a sexual desire in your life, then that's an area you never have to put under control because it's never a desire. 
You know, there's a lot of areas in my life I have no desire for. I have no desire to eat cream cakes. You can show me them all day long. I ain't bothered. Give me a bag of crisp, packet of biscuits, I'm in. But you can't buy me with a cream cake, but we can negotiate with a packet of crisp. Why? I don't need restraint around cakes, but I do around crisp. Does that make sense? So, out of Adam comes Eve. Hello, Mrs. Eve. Say hello to Mrs. Eve. Hello, Mrs. Eve. So Eve, not that Eve over there, this Eve. And then, so inside Eve, there's capacity. So what you join yourself to has capacity for the power of one also. So you've increased your capacity now because two are now one and they have a great return for their work. Amen? So Carol brings something to me. I bring something to Carol. Together, we've increased our capacity. She brought her 50%. I brought my 50%. And on a good day, it feels like we've got 110. On other days, we can produce 120, 130 from our combined efforts because it's a supernatural thing, not a physical mass. We can do that. We produce something more than what we've got. But it takes the two parts coming together to produce the more. Yeah? Because 50% and 50% is just 50%. But join those together, it creates more. There's a supernatural element in this. Amen? So everything comes under one head. So Eve still comes under the one head. The husband is still responsible for covering the wife. Some of you women are not quite sure there. Some of you men are saying, hey, listen, he's talking to you. Yes, it's called a covenant. He made a head. He didn't say he made you a ruler. He made a head. Okay, so don't throw out your, well, what about this? We're not on about that. Just right now is the head. She's happy. She's protected under the one head. She should be. She should be the most fulfilled woman. And if she's not, then look at yourself. Men. Men. If you wanted to come out of a shell, you've got to help her. Ah. Sometimes, if you wanted to, to grow up, you've got to release her. And, rec- and to release, you've got to recognize. It's all gone quiet. Yeah, I'm talking to you, husband. So there's, there's Eve. She's got capacity. She came out of Adam. The church is inside Christ. We came out of Christ. So we know we've got covering. There's always somebody. There's a chain of command. Amen? And irrespective of what's inside here, everything is, should be linked to a chain of command. So out of Eve come children. Children are under the chain of command. Out of the church, we're all under the command of the Christ ahead and also the elders and pastors. Yeah? There's got to be a chain of command. This is how we get the power of one. You're not the power of one because someone leads. We're the power of one because we all recognize and submit to one another. We willfully, joyfully do it. Amen? So in Psalm 91, verse 19, it says this. Remember, soon as God, whatever God creates, whenever God creates the power of one, instantly there something comes to undermine it. Are you with me? Can you see this? Not yet, you can't, but you will do. But Psalm 91.9 says this, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, 
For he will, command his, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that they will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon a lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Okay? What does that remind you of? If you make the Lord your heart most high, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Okay? So the point here is this. If I make the Lord the most high in my life and in my marriage and in my relationships, then something will follow me and protect me. Why? Because if I make the Lord the most high, then I give God the materials to protect the power of one. But if I don't make the Lord the most high, and I don't follow through and walk through the principles, then there's always these added things attacking me. And undermining me and trying to separate the power of one. There's nothing worse than a man and a wife bickering, can't see eye to eye, when there's no one. There's no one-ship. So as long as they're bickering at that level, nothing can be built. Nothing, And the kids can't polarize to anything. All they see is dysfunction and disruption in mum. So little Johnny and Sally, who's, too, who's young cannot see the benchmark. All they see is bickering. It's got mighty, mighty quiet in this Catholic church. So we need, the power of one creates an atmosphere of stability. Now I didn't say we can't have disagreement. There's room for disagreement, but it's the way you disagree. Because power of one is created and it's an atmosphere, it's an environment. It is. So, if you make the Lord the most high, the dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. So it's conditional. If no disaster will come near you. Who wants that? Who wants to have a relationship where no disaster comes to the tent? But we have disaster, don't we? Right. He will command his angels coming to you to guard you in all your ways. But the times we felt those angels fell asleep. Come on, be honest. They will lift you up in their hands. Sometimes I feel like I've been dragged off the floor. So that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon a lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Sometimes I feel like I've been trampled on by the serpent and by the lion. Because life has a way of getting you. Yeah? So, John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes to steal kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life. Why does, the, why does the thief come? It comes not only to kill, steal and destroy, but to kill, steal and destroy what? The power of one. Destroy your relationships. From out of your relationships, there is honor. There is love. There is consideration. There is sincerity. There's all these beautiful attributes that every home and every family need and every relationship need. If you destroy them, and what it eventually does is that the only person you're in love with is yourself. Yeah. And you'll treat everybody according. You'll treat every relationship for what you can get out from it, not, not what you can give to it. Why? Because your motive has changed. Why? Because you have no power of one in you. I don't use Carol to fulfill my needs. I did when I was a young boy. As a married man, I was a kid. I was not mature, and I treated my wife to get my own desires fulfilled, my own gratification. That is called a boy. 
But who chose me how to? My dad never taught me. My dad never taught me how to love a woman. My dad never taught me how to hold my wife's hand. He never taught me how to caress her and bring her tenderly close to you and, 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 and hold her without wanting something sexually. My dad never taught me that, but that's what every man should have. But we live in a real world. Our fathers never had it themselves. So we can't blame them. But what we do is, when we do get it, we should be more um, certain to make sure Scott gets it. Or whoever your sons and daughters are. Fathers, teach teach your daughter how to respond to a man. Mothers, same with your sons. Give them this. So that the power of one goes into their relationship. Teach your sons and daughters. Don't play around. Find the one. Find the one. Well, I might have to try a few. No, you don't. You know I know that? Because I found the one. But did I go out with many girls as a young lad? Yes. But, they were, they, but I was a kid. And I'm talking about 12, 13. I always had girlfriends. You can understand that guy. goes without saying. But when I started dating Carol, I dated Carol at a young age. Right? I was looking for a mature woman then. So I started dating Carol, I think, when I was about 17, something like that. But she was still at school. She was my school sweetheart. Still is. But you know what? She was the one. I never went out with anybody else. See? And now she's stuck with me. So Judges 16, 19 says this. Here's the power of one. When it comes under attack. Are you ready for this? I said, are you ready for this? Having put him to sleep on her lap. We're talking about Samson. Having put him to sleep on her lap. So stop right there a minute. She has power. To put him to sleep. When God was about to bring Eve out of Adam. He put him to sleep. So God has a power. To put Adam asleep while he's under surgery. But now Delilah's going to do the same thing in a different way. And she's going to have to find a manipulative way to put her man to sleep. Yes? Very powerful. She called the man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. All the time, this woman was never interested in Samson. She was always looking to subdue him. This is what the power of one does. It entices you to get in bed with it. Not the power of one, the opposite. The power of one, God gives to us through a covenant. Hello? But a spirit will come along... A temptation will come along, a trial will come along, and it will try to put you to sleep so that you will compromise, negotiate, and hijack the power of one in your life. So it has to find a way of sedating you and putting you to sleep. And there's no better way to do that than through your emotions, your urges. Yes, your unfulfilled urges. Am I talking to everyone this morning? So it'll come to, to, it'll come to destroy, undermine, kill, destroy the power of one, Christ in you, you in Christ, 
you and your wife, you and your husband, you and the body of Christ. It will try and destroy the church, your relationship with your partner, and your self-esteem. And it will come, and it will try and put you to sleep. So let's read what it says. It will shave off his head. In other words, it's looking for a weakness in your life. It's looking for a weakness. Have you got any weaknesses? Do you know them? Are you, are you aware of your weaknesses? I told you man's a bag of crisp. Yeah? Metaphorically speaking. And his strength left him. Let's read it again. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off his head. I mean, he must have been some sleep with someone shaving his head. Yeah? Braids of hair. And so she began, uh, and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. So now, he is now just Sam the man. Okay, he's just now Sam the man. He's not Samson. He's not Samsung. He's just Sam the man. Yeah? He's just a man now. He has nothing special about him. He's been reduced, but he doesn't know it. Then what happens? She then, she called Sam the man. The Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. His relationship with God has changed because of this woman who has subdued him, put him to sleep, found the area in his life that's his weak spot. Listen, I'm talking to everyone in this room. Hear me and hear me clearly. There is a weak spot waiting to be exposed in you. There is a Delilah in the wing. A Delilah in this, in this context, he's not just a woman. It's a trial, a tribulation, an opportunity. A person comes and suggests something. It sounds pleasing. It sounds the easy way. But there is a way that leads to death. And there's a way that leads to life. And it, and it might even come and appear to you as a friend. And it will come to put you to sleep, sedate you, and so that you will then rise as normal and carry on thinking everything's okay. But then when you rise, you have no idea that God's left you, but everybody else does. And the power of one within you has now been seduced. And you were the last one to see it. That's why a woman can smell when her husband's having an affair. That's why a bloke sometimes is a bit slower than a woman. But a bloke can smell eventually he starts picking up the signs. When his woman has messed around or when her husband's messing around, it takes a while, but then the signs start to appear. And depending on how smart the individual is or how close to the Lord they are, you know, even Christians get duped. The partners mess them up. Good Christian people get hurt. It's true. Because he'd never turned around and said that the thief and the kill, uh, the thief, the liar, and what's the other one? The destroyer will never come to your house. He warns us that he's coming for us. He warns us. New Testament tells us put on the full armor. He tells us to walk in the spirit. This is not Old Testament no more. We're told what to do. We're told that our enemy's coming. We have a spiritual defense mechanism. In the Old Testament, they didn't have a spiritual defense mechanism. They had to go through the priest. They had a, that was their mechanism. But you and I can go all the way now. 
We can defend, we can guide, we can guard, we can govern our families, right? Why? Because now this power of one is such under attack that there needs to be an education of how to protect it. Have you seen this? Something, someone, somewhere, at some point in life will try and put you to sleep in their lap. Beware. And I hate to sit down as a pastor and say, I told you so. And it's not always sexual. So don't just see it in sexual terms. In your life, it could be you, want, you need money and there's an opportunity comes along and you think it's the right thing to do. It will meet the need now. So you think this is the way to go. Because I need money and I've been praying about it. You think it's God. But the enemy also comes with opportunities. And you think because it's got the word money on it, it must be God. No, the enemy comes with gold as well. Well, how do we know? That's a separate message. There should be a question mark in your spirit. If you make the Lord the most high your dwelling, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Something's got to follow you, providing you keep in the zone. Or something will follow you. So many people. Samson tried to bypass this principle. And through pleasure and sexual indulgence, it got him. It got him. So many people today want the pleasure, but they don't want the commitment or the covenant. If you choose a partner, you're not just choosing a partner, you are choosing a covenant. And it's that covenant that brings together two people and makes them the power of one. If I date a girl, we're not the power of one. Let me make that clear. We're two individuals. It's the covenant that brings us one. If I'm raised in a Christian family, I'm one because my parents are Christians and they are walking under God. When my parents have got a shallow Christian life, then God has to be God. But at some point, you will have to take care of yourself. At some point. The power of one is very, very powerful thing. And it's open for attack. And it's coming to a town near you. And you see, David's household, David's own household struggled David's household never had the power of one. Let's just look in his household for a second so that you all can feel you're not the only ones who've got troubles. Yeah? There's a situation here with Tamar and Ammon, brother and sister. Okay? And in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 10, then Ammon said to Tamar, he's got this desire for his sister. Okay, he's got this desire for his stepsister. And he wants a piece of her. And he won't go through, listen to me, he won't go through the proper channel. He wants to take a piece for himself and think there is no consequence. You know, if 
you had a stepsister and you did what this fellow did, this household would not be one for very long. There would be one almighty disturbance going on in that household. So let's just read what's going on here. Bring the food here. So he tries to trick her. Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Ammon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Stop there. She understands what he's doing is wrong. She understands there's a proper protocol. There is a courtship process. There is a principle to go through. You cannot try before you buy. Hello? There is no trying before buying. And next week, I'm going to show you some stats next week. What's going to shock you from inside church of this one thought. This is not a predominant thought. Christians should stay clean. Most Christians today think they can taste, try and buy, try before buying. No, you can't. And I'll stand strong on that principle. Because that's worth fighting for. And here he is. She knows there's a protocol. She knows there's a way. And he knows there's a way. But he thinks his desire is a license to cut from protocol and do his own thing. He wants to create more than one in the house. He wants to create two, three. What happens if she gets pregnant? There would have been no protection in those days, would there? Come to bed, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. What a pure, conscious girl this is. This should not be done in Israel. Why? Not anywhere else in the world. But she's speaking from one nation under God. She has a God conscience. This girl is a sweet girl. Beautiful girl. Then she says, it shouldn't be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. So she has a conscience, not only is it wrong, but it's a wicked thing. Yeah? Uh, where are we going now? Don't be the wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king and he will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she... He raped her. What, you, what does your feelings, how do you feel about that? You want to go in and smack the seven swords out of him, don't you? You do. Come on, be honest. Why? Because your heart goes to the weak, the weak person. This pure girl, innocent girl, God-conscious, pure living lady has been violated all because one man wanted his own way. And this is going on inside David's house. So do we have the power of one in his house? No. We've got division. That same thief that Jesus warns us about came in the Old Testament. And he was there in David's house. Trying to destroy. Now, listen, God's allowing me to speak this message because we need to hear this message. There are many, many ways we can rape each other inside the house. I'm not talking about sexual now. 
but we can take things from others that they never gave us license. We can try and invade ourselves into people's lives by usurping authority. Shall I give you one cynical way of doing it? Are you ready for this? Prophecy. Prophecy can give me leverage in your life if I misuse it. Yeah. Oh, I just feel the Lord saying, and you can then begin to transmit and begin to steer and manipulate. Don't tell me it can't be done because I've seen it being done. That's just one way how we rape one another. So that you'll need me. I've seen it. Thank God God cleared it out of the house. When another man, another woman, another couple come up to you and say, we'll be your spiritual mum and dad. Say, no, you won't. There's only one mum and dad in the house. But it's amazing how many people say, we just want to be your spiritual mum and dad. Shut up, you're not my mum and dad. It's amazing how many times that happens in church. All right. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married with you. But he refused to listen to it. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then, listen, then Ammon hated her with intense hatred. Why? Because she didn't do it willingly. She didn't. So in other words, he took his pleasure, but he got no response from her. She did not give him intimacy. She wrestled and fought. So he got his pleasure, but he never got the pleasure he could have had if she'd have been in love with him. He should have willingly got in that bed and it would have been a romantic, pure, clean bonding together because making love is not two bodies coming together. Making love is two hearts, minds and souls coming together. Why do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says, now you're one flesh. Now you're one flesh. Spirit, soul, and body come together. That's when you've, let's do, use a Klingon, uh, a Star Trek, we've mind melted. We've soul mated. And now we're bodily connected. So, you know, when, when a man and a woman come together, a man should, and it's under one covenant, and in one relationship, the power of one, he gives his thoughts to her, he gives his heart to her, and then his body follows but most blokes keep the minds and the hearts back and they send the body. You, know, you go and represent me. It's called prosthetic sex. Because you didn't send the real thing. You only sent one third of you. You only sent one third when you should have sent all of you. And this is why we have such a dysfunctional world, dysfunctional church. Husbands still don't know how to give themselves to the wives. Been married 20 years, 30 years. Why? And then they get the urge, and then they say to them, we're on tonight. And she's thinking, but I want romance. I want intimacy. You never show me intimacy. You never take me out. You never do such a thing. But all you want is, you, play, you know, your playground attraction. Something's gone wrong. And then you want her to be like Samson. You want her to lie in your arms. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We cannot have a house like this. We cannot have a household like this. This house is dysfunctional. This is your typical family throughout the world. Brothers and sisters fighting. Father not. And then you read the rest of the story. Dad did not help the situation. 
Dad did not know how to bring government inside his own house. And he didn't deal with it properly. And so his house was dysfunctional and in chaos. David, listen, David was a wonderful ruler. A wonderful ruler. He knew how to protect the household of Israel. He knew how to keep the ways of God. But he was a useless dad. Useless father. In many, many ways, David was useless. So it just shows you that you can have an high-powered job. You can be revered by many. But can you govern the house? Can you keep this all together? Can you carry this? Whenever I go in the world, I've got my little babushka. And in my little babushka, I've got Carol. In my little babushka, I've got Scott, Laura and Ben. And in my little babushka, now I've got Carol's mum and dad. Right? And in my little babushka, I've got Ella and Harper. Yeah? Because they are my little babushkas. Right? And you know, they're small, but they demand a lot. And these little tykes have the power of getting grand and granddad against each other. And these little tykes, Scott, Ben and Laura, they also have a way of getting mum and dad against each other. And these little tykes also know how to cause trouble with grand and granddad. Carol's mum and dad. Yeah? For years, we had problems in that area. But then, I, as a man, listen, had to make sure that I knew how to minister to Carol. There came a day when I had to pay attention. How does this woman think? How does this woman function? How am I going to help this lady to become all she is? So I need now marriage seminars. Yeah, I'm married 20 odd years and I still need help. I'm married now 32 years. I think it's 32, 33. I'll just blurred after a while, don't I? 33 years. And guess what? I still need help. I still need, I still need to find out how to pursue this lady's heart. I still need to find out how, how to please her. She's not easy and I'm not easy. Right? And together, together, we have to make sure we're under Christ. Because I know the secret to Carol. Now, you can have an happy, happy marriage outside of Christ because millions of people are doing it. But to have a God-fulfilled marriage, we need to be in Christ. So this babushka, to me, is a very symbolic thing. It shows me the power of one. Everything that I carry is inside one. True? Everything I'm carrying, all the affections of my heart are all carried in the power of one. And the moment me... As the vessel goes wrong, potentially, it can spread out and affect the whole world. We cannot have Tamars, we cannot have Ammons in the house raping one another, having disrespect for family protocol, family. Brothers and sisters abuse one another because the way they talk to each other. And then brothers and sisters abuse mum and dad the way they talk. Come on. Some of the way our sons and daughters talk to us is abominable. But guess what? It's too, sometimes it's too late to try and, try and cure it down the line. But for those who are raising young children, you've got hope. You've got hope. 
So the power of one. So last scripture, and we finished. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. The power of one has equal concern for each other. The power of one should have equal concern for each other. The power of one should have, must have, equal concern for one another. Corinthians 12, 25, so that there should be no division in the body. But the parts that should have equal concern for each other. But that is part, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That body, no prosthetic church. This is the real deal. We must have equal concern for each other. Oh, there's that. this is real church. This is welcome to church with difference. As long as you're thinking about yourself all the time and not thinking about others, you have two families. You have your natural family. Take care of your natural family. All that we're saying this morning is to help you take care of your natural family. But you expect me to take care of the spiritual family. But you also have to take care of the spiritual family. Why? How, should say? By considering each other. When was the last time you considered someone in this church? Now, I said to you, we have some fantastic people in this church. Some exceptional people, brilliant people. You all go, yeah, 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 I know. And then the next question I ask you is, but do you know who they are? And then followed by another question. When was the last time you went and told them? And celebrated it? You're, you're one, you know, I think yours. You're pretty awesome. Just want to thank God for you. I acknowledge you, that what you do. I took you through all those characters. Showing you why they were so key to the household of God. We had a Mary in there, an Epinus in there. You know, a Strobulus, Aristotle. We had all these characters that you can't even mention. You can't pronounce the names, neither can I. And these are my teeth. But every one of them was in there for a unique reason. They brought something to the house. They were unique in their, in, in their uniqueness. And Paul acknowledges them. It's not enough to come to church and, and, and just see the same faces. God's building a house. God's building a body. God's building a family. And he wants to bring the power of one. Now, when I close my eyes in a minute and we go out there, you, you are... Well within your freedom to just forget what I've just said. Everything I've just said this morning, as Bob Dylan sang, the answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. Right? You can go and do that Bob Dylan trick if you want. Just let it all blow in the wind. But I guarantee, I know this morning, my spirit, I'm warning some of you. There is a, there is a potential Tamar Ammon situation. There is a potential Samson and Delilah waiting to, to take root. They have come to kill, steal, and destroy. They have come to dislodge. They have come to fracture, fragment, dislocate the power of one in your life. Some are not here today. Why? Because they've been dislodged. And I'm not just talking about today, because what I'm talking about is people who were once part are no longer part, no longer walking, or do you have this karaoke, I'm in, out, in, out, and I'll shake it all about. 
I do the okey-cokey, and that's what life's all about. That's their version of Christianity. That's not Bibles. What I'm saying is, is God's trying to protect us as a house, and the way he does that is by emphasizing the power of one. Don't be the Tamar that lets someone else overpower you. I said, don't be the Tamar that allows somebody else stronger than you to overpower you. We say, well, how do I stop someone? Get smarter first. Get smarter. Well, how do I do that? Well, maybe you might just need to walk around with some wise people. Yeah? There's always an Ammon waiting to pounce. And if you had a good-looking girl or a good-looking lad, there'll always be someone pursuing you. And they'll always try and bring you some food in that bedroom, metaphorically speaking. But please, ladies, please, gentlemen, be smart. I'm warning you as a shepherd. There are wolves in this world. I'm not saying there's wolves amongst us. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the wolf's at the door. And he's looking. And, and this is why God says rebuild the family. Get rid of the tamer. Get rid of the shame. Maybe you have been... Maybe you, have, uh, uh, you are the recipient of, of someone overpowering you. And they took away from you your dignity, your uh, self-respect. Maybe you are the recipient of uh, an Ammon overpowering you. And now he's left you with sh- uh, shame and guilt. And, the, and, the, and the, the response to that is recognize what's happened and begin to make the journey out of that. And how do you do that? By talking, by opening your heart again, allowing someone with tender hands to come alongside you and to nurture you back to health again. The dad should have done that, but dad didn't do that. My, you know, you'd expect David to have been in there with his daughter. A father should have gone in there and says, my daughter, my daughter, my son. You'd expect the father to go and get hunt him down and kick the seven swords out of him. Wouldn't you? Come on, think, think of it, what a father would do. He's just abused his daughter. And you, you know, but the father didn't do that. So he left her with shame and disgrace. And this is what happens in the church. This is why the church is dysfunctional, because we've got daughters who are living with shame and disgrace based on their former life before they came to Christ. She believed, she trusted, she opened her bedroom, she opened her heart, and men came in and raped her. And that also can happen with men as well. This is real, guys. This is real. And I know I'm speaking under the, under, under the grace of God this morning. And I know I'm onto something. God's warning us before it's happened. Amen? So if we're smart, we'll listen. Let's stand to our feet. The answer, my friend, is not blown in the wind. The answer is just here. Amen? Let's just bring what's just been said before the Lord. Because a lot's just been said. Come on, let's just touch the Holy Spirit. Let's just let's just re- return to that place of worship we were as we was. I see the mercy in your eyes. You don't have to come, Lord, but you do. You didn't have to come this morning, Lord, but you did. You walked into our room, O oh God, and you, you lit up the room, O oh God. 
You ignited our hearts and you shared with us, oh God, your heart this morning towards your own church. Father, the very thing that you and your son are is one. And it's the very thing that comes to dislodge the bride from the groom. Anything that can possibly use to drive a wedge between the bride and the groom. We see it every day, oh God. Father, I ask you, oh God, to come again in this room. Walk amongst the crowd, Lord. I pray, oh God, right now, Lord, lift off shame and disgrace. The Tamars in this world. As we're, listen, as we're, as we're in the presence of God, every eye, every eye is closed. If there's Tamars in this room this morning. If there's Tamars in this room this morning. Now is a good time to go to seek the, the mercy of God and the healing of God. If there's any Delilahs here this morning. You have used your body. You have used your power. You have used your strength to try and sedate. And put men to sleep. You also need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I will not operate in a witchcraft spirit. Because ultimately it's about getting my own way. You may have been a Samson. So you may be an Ammon this morning. Maybe as a man, you've used... And you've used your strength and you've overpowered your wife and your husband, uh, your wife, sorry, your girlfriends, whoever they were. And you've used your strength to usurp and get what you've wanted. There's another time to come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that man. I'm not that man anymore, Lord. But Lord, I want to bring it before you, Lord, and ask you to forgive me. I want you to cut off my past. And I don't want that animal to resurface. I believe in a past being cut. If you've, already, if you've already dealt with it in your past, then leave it there. But if you just moved on from relationship, but you recognize that trait was there, just bring it to the altar again and ask the Lord, make a new sacrifice and let the Lord breathe on it again. Come on, church. We're at a serious point here. We've got Ammons. We've got Tamars. We've got Samsons in the room. And I also must not take the position of David in this matter and do nothing. I as a father must bring the household back, recognize, draw it out. So that God can come and rest in the house again and bring peace to those hearts that have been devastated. Me as a father this morning wants to bring order and restoration in the house. We don't want to sweep it in the carpet. Under the carpet. We want to get it out. So that God can begin to bring a fresh fire. So gather the materials this morning. Come on bring them out. Bring them out. Bring the materials out. Let the Lord create a fire. An altar this morning. And let there be a fresh sacrifice this morning at the altar. Maybe you just need to come and stand here. And just kneel before the altar. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring his fire. And release and pour it on the altar and let a fresh fire burn today. Some people are going to get free, set free today. The altar's open this night, this very day. Everything that was said prophetically about the fire, this is it. It's starting. Gather the materials, bring them to the altar. Come on. 
I want to encourage you to come out. Neil, do what you've got to do. But get this right with the Lord. Get the power of one established. Get the fluency of heaven flowing through your life. I encourage you, church, this morning. Come on, who's going to be brave? Who's going to be brave and just let the Holy Spirit deal with them this morning? Come on, where's the Tamars? Where's the, where's the Samsons this morning? Where's the Ammons this morning? Come on, men. Man up. Now's the time to man up. Let God into your marriage. Show God that you're serious, that you want to love your wife. Thank her. Thank him for the woman you've had, but you've not always treated her well, Lord. I've not always treated my wife well. I recognized that in me a long time ago. God, I gave God room to deal with me in it. It doesn't mean to say I still don't need to give God more continual room to deal with me, but I need it. I know man is selfish in his, in his coreness of his own heart. Man can be selfish. That's, male, that's, that's malehood right there. I'm not saying every man's selfish. I'm saying at the heart of man, there is individuality and selfishness. Come on, is there anybody else? Come on. I really believe God wants some men to come. The Samsons and the Ammons are in the room. Your strength's gone. Your strength has gone. And you've not recognized it. But a God cannot call you to go and fight your Philistines because if he did, you'd get slaughtered. And you wonder why the spiritual fight's not in your husband or your, in your partner or, or in certain men. Why? Because they were subdued a long time ago. And when it comes for God selecting them for the battle, there's no fight in them. The dog in the fight is not the same anymore. So come on, church.